I'm tired, Tim. I'm like Tim today. I'm tired like a Tim. <laughs> Tim never moans though, so probably not quite like a Tim. <laughs> a new episode of the end podcast and what we forgot to tell you last week was it was our 50th episode and now this is (laughs) (laughs) and now it's a slightly less spectacular 51st episode but thank you very much for joining us if you're listening to us on one of your favorite podcasting locations we also have a youtube channel where we chop up the bits and do kind of like little one shots and sometimes we do youtube specific content so if you don't want to miss out anything give us a follow over there and also with in mind youtube it, we're doing really well on that at the minute we're getting three figures on most of our uploads by the way tim tim's here everybody say hello tim what up, what up, what up? <laughs> we're also on instagram we're also on twitter and today we are doing the first of a series of discussions for the source material for james gunn and the other fellows who who's the other fellow tim all i know is james gunn he's like i lost for james gunn Ooh, saucy. Yeah. peter safran so we're going through the source material so we'll be doing Swamp Thing later in the month, which reminds me I better start reading that first omnibus because that is thick, baby. We're doing Grant Morrison's Batman. We're going to do All-Star Superman. And if the authority becomes available without having to pay hundreds of pounds for the omnibus, then we'll also do the authority at the end of the year. So fingers crossed that makes it so available. <laughs> Hello, Matt. Oh, it's great to be here again. 51. It's very exciting. Oh, man. This is our longest period of consistent uploads. And let's put it this way. It's by far the longest that we've been doing it and still enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. I'd be curious to go back because what listeners may not know, the first time we ever spoke person to person was on our first podcast. Might have been on a phone call, like an organizing phone call, but face to face was on that first podcast. So I'd be curious to go back and listen to it to see like how it's changed. I mean, obviously I feel much more comfortable and less rehearsed, I would say, than when we first started. I'd be curious to go back and see how much has changed in 50 episodes. Yeah, and it was a brutal group of bounders, I would say at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to manage. (laughs) Yeah, like her doing cats, mate. Even when we have Brian Tara Joe on, it's karma. It wasn't like it was proper competition. We weren't competing with each other because everybody had something to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, so that's also what caused the first hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember thinking like, 
you know, there's so many of us. I, I don't remember where the word what the maximum number was, but it had to be like close to 10 people at one point. Um, well, we had 10 on the extended cast and we had, oh, geez, I think the most we had on one was like seven or eight. And it, okay, it, so I remember, yeah, thinking like, it's not so much I have to get my comments in, it's more like, I better say something or else it's going to be pretty clear that I have no reason to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair though, mate, you were... When you did drop in with something, it was always the only time where everybody would be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> He's done it again, isn't he? He's done it. <gasps> everybody get back, get back. <laughs> everybody stand back, stand back. Give him some room. <laughs> As your lips push together before the soft inhale, of breath indicative <laughs> breath to the next pearl of wisdom that would come from tim everybody throws it's like when there's a through ball in football and the players in on goal and it's your best forward like when jamie vardy was the bollocks it was almost formality so everyone's like go on go on go on and then there's a <laughs> pause just before he pulls his foot back it falls silent maybe half a second Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim's got something to say. It's Tim, <laughs> Tim, 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 Tim. <laughs> now I just take the piss out of you for an hour. <laughs> oh man, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, if I know anything, it's people perform well under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so. Today, I suppose we'd better say what the actual episode's about. We are going to be giving our thoughts on Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Now, it's written by Tom King, who's previously written things like a limited vision series for Marvel. He did Omega Man and Mr. Miracle for DC. He also did a very long run on Batman. Do you want to hear my little anecdote? You've heard it before, but just in case we've got some listeners that have joined us recently. When Tom King left Marvel after Vision, I was like, wow, this guy's good. I want to see what his Batman's like. So I went to my LCS, Forbidden Planet and Leicester, guy there called Kempin, a big Batman, Batman fan. I said, is it worth me getting onto this? He goes, don't bother. You want to read the Snyder one first. And then like a three-year read everything of New 52 happened until I got to the tedious stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... I never made it to Batman. And now because I've started buying the omnibuses, so I've got the Paul Dini one, Detective. I've got the, I have the Logan Sale Batman. I have the three no man's, like, well, they'll be arriving in the next seven days. Let's put it that way. The three no man's land omnibuses. And I have the three Grant Morrison ones. So now I'm kind of thinking, I'll just wait for the Tom King ones to come out like that. But Tom King, he's, all I've heard is the hot air about the cats and the bat parts of that story. So I don't really know if it was any good, rightly or not. But what a writer. This has just refreshed my memory to how much I love. The man made me read DC. That's how good it was. Totally. That's how good the vis his vision was. The art is from Plaquise Evely, I believe, and Matthew Lopez or Lops, Lopes. I don't know. How would you say it, Tim? Maybe Lopez? I'm not sure. I just wish they were more clear with it. Just spell it for now. Can't, why can't people have nicknames? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm, I don't know where to start with this. 
it's one of those that when I was reading it, it's like when I watched June, I was like, fuck, this is good. And before it's even finished, before I was even a couple of issues in on this, my mind was asking, how good is it? Where does it Totally. Sit? It wasn't even a question of this is one of the best things I've ever read. And then you start going down, well, I don't really know much of the suit. I've never read Supergirl before. I've not really read that much Superman either. So it's definitely the best of those. Then you're like, well, where does it sit with DC? And I was thinking, well, top three, top five, is top three an exaggeration? And then you start asking your question of like of all comics. It just I completely that. agree. The question just happens to you, sat there and then it enters your mind. How good is this? And it kind of like shocks you. This dual Cartesian spirit and mind or body and ones just come to you and go, hey, I'm Matthew. Do you know what I think we're going to think in a minute? And you're like, go on then, tell me. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what I'm going to think next. He goes, this might be one of the best things you've ever read. <gasps> yeah. And then your yeah. eyes just widen with the realisation. <laughs> no, I had, Matt, I had the exact same reaction. I was actually thinking about this yesterday when I was kind of gathering my thoughts on this. And you're right. The question starts with how good is this? I'm not a huge DC reader. I don't, no. I'm not as familiar with like the canon or whatever. Um so for me to say it's the best DC thing I've ever read is it's not honestly saying that much because I've I've read comparatively little of DC. But I, as you're going through it, you're thinking, is this one of the best comic books I've ever read? And you're right. It's like you're having a meta commentary in your head as you're reading the story. It's almost like you're so excited to determine like, how good is this? Like, And then, by the way, we'll get into the story, obviously. But when you get to the very end, like the very last couple pages and you realize what is happening. You're like, yeah. holy shit, not only is this some of the greatest execution of comics I've ever read, but they're, he's landing the fucking plane. The conclusion is so perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And he's such an ideas man. We have to caveat it before we go any further. Look, it is, it's amazing. Like Hickman got a lot of stick for his hox pox. What's the word? Plagiarism. And he said, no, I was inspired by it. And then I wrote my story with X-Men. <laughs> but... <laughs> This is a space operatic true grit without yeah without contention. Oh, definitely. And I wonder, like, if you're familiar with true grit, I mean, it's clear to you pretty quickly what the reference material is. But for those who don't, who are not familiar with it, this it really is like a true grit homage, maybe yeah, a pastiche. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because that is not source material that is typically referenced all that much. We're familiar with the Coen's brother movie. And obviously the original with John Wayne and the novel, of course, is an all timer. But what a breath of fresh air to see a true Western with Western themes, not just yeah. Western sets, but like yeah. Western themes to come up in a superhero comic. Yes. But like you said, you're almost split in this sort of meta inner commentary whereby I'm reading it. I'm thinking, does this work with another character? And then you think, well, what if you just gender swapped it and it was a man? And, and it's specifically with the character, is it? I was going to say Cara Dern. Who's Cara Dern? Maybe, maybe I think I've just named a porn star. <laughs> it just goes to show you how much I know about DC that I can't even... Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's Cara Zorel. All right. Got out of jail there, didn't I, listeners? <laughs> just keep looking for the definitions. <laughs> a Slavic automobile. Bingo. <laughs> I'm not saying that Tom King couldn't have made it work with any other character, but I think why it specifically works is there's 
there's kind of like a mysterious sadness to her. And I think that comes from yes. she's actually had that sensory memory of what Krypton was like. And there's a part of the story to go into the first detail, putting the car in front of the horse a little bit with this, even though it seems like canonically it makes more sense to start with the origin. It shows you the struggle and the pain the Kryptonites are escaping mm-hmm. on this small landmass after the planet's demise. And it turns out that every time they pass a, a different sun to a yellow sun, or whatever, which I'm not okay with the law, despite having just read this, <laughs> right. that it's slowly given all the Kryptonians cancer. The length of time, that iterative pain and sadness and longing for not just a medical cure, but a cure for the situation. Her father says, look, you've done enough, sends her away. Like that tragedy and the coming to terms with it that just works specifically with this mentor-mentory. Definitely. I hadn't thought about this before, but it just popped into my head as we're talking about it. In terms of what the artistic decisions that Tom King makes, it's kind of bold to write a comic, a Supergirl comic book in which it's not clear Supergirl is the main character. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That is pretty bold. I don't think I'd seen a superhero comic with that character's title on the cover where that character is not really the main character. I mean, she's obviously the Rooster Cogburn analog. And then Ruthie is, is that her name, Ruthie? Yeah, yeah. Ruthie. Yeah, yeah, Ruthie. It's like the Maddie well, character. It's either uh, Ruthie or Ruthie, because it's actually named I, after his niece. Um, okay. Her name was Ruthie. So he said, well, okay, we'll make this Ruthie or Ruthie. Okay, okay, Ruthie, cool. or Whatever it is, yeah. And then the second thing is that you don't really get, this isn't revealed to you until the very end, but it's not clear. It's one of the more well-executed attempts at the unreliable narrator. It's not clear like what, if anything, in this story actually happened as described because at the end, you get a pretty big shock. What the reveal is that she may maybe is not that reliable a narrator and that the entire comic is a performance that she's giving, yeah. that Ruthie's giving, Ruth I, whatever. Yeah. Um, Let's call it Ruthie. The reader. Yeah. It, it, Let's go it falls off yeah. the tongue a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> These are little decisions that have big consequences that make this like a, a clearly, clearly a cut above your, not only your ordinary superhero comic, but your high-end superhero comic. And there's an eccentric form of storytelling as well, whereby the passage of time, the concentration on um, local and the grandiose, it all feels like the narration in whichever dimension you're looking at is almost elastic and it's pulling and contracting and it's an odd way to tell a story. A lot of the physical conflict happened outside of the pages and this very much concentrated on the relationship between Kara and Ruthie and then it concentrated on how they're both trapped by the shadows of their past and while Kara is trying to guide her as an individual almost like mentoring at the same time she's stuck in her own She's also constricted, trying to make up for her failures of the past as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Should we go and just quick over the... We should definitely do the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, over the plots. So Supergirl is in this almost fantasy, Lord of the Real... No, 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 let's start it off. Oh, God, this is... Everything I think of, I want to talk about with this. It's just so ripe for inspection. But I'm going to try mm-hmm. to keep it together. I always get a bit giggly when I really like something. Do you remember I was trying yeah. to speak about Red Rocket? <laughs> yeah. It's a nightmare. My enthusiasm betrays me. <laughs> so there's a series of events that lead um, Ruthie 
to meet Supergirl Kara in this tavern. And it's kind of a little bit mysterious where it is. Is it past? Is it future? Is it present? Is it an alternate dimension or something like that? And Ruthie's father was slewn by this barbarian warrior who then disappears. And her task is to find a suitable warrior to hunt him down and kill him. And in the first encounter, Supergirl, not realising that she's under a red sun, is depowered and she gets arrows in her and unfortunately Krypton. He takes an arrow as well. He's not doing so good. So this intergalactic chase of cat and mouse, because the only person who knows the poison that's affecting Krypton is the man who produced the arrows and the poison. Ruthie wants revenge and she wants to go and find him to kill him, whereas it's kind of portrayed that that Supergirl Kara is only interested in going and finding the cure. And it's that entwined voyage, a mutual journey of discovery, and where will they end up? It's the journey, not the ending kind of thing. We kind of know roughly where it's going to end up, but it's what do they find out in the meantime about themselves. Nonetheless, there's a trail of brutal murder as he... Clem is the main villain, Clem, isn't yeah. he? As he finds a group of like-minded people and they just rape, pillage and raise planet after planet, leaving a path of destruction, which offers more motivation for our protagonists. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was boring. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I heard myself speak then and I thought, Jesus Christ, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the very first pages. My God, I was like, fuck, like, what am I reading here? Is it like a a fantasy thing? Is she gone back in time? Because it's very Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like in a tavern and it's Tara's 21st birthday. So she's just looking to get out there, have a few drinks and probably hoist some D. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why she's there in the first place, right? When she's by yeah. the red sun, like she can get drunk, but if she's, she can't normally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she's up in the time of her life and then who comes into her path? But Ruthie. Ruthie initially attempts to hire this other guy who tries to really fuck her over. And then from there, Supergirl basically says, no, I'm not going to help. Attempts to go back to her ship and finds that Clem has hijacked the ship. At that yeah. point as well, you don't even know how drastic is this situation. Have you just given a primitive human being, a primitive man, the power of the galaxy as he escapes off world? Because it makes a very deliberate point of saying that it was already set up for autopilot. So yeah, you have this. Yeah, yeah. He said that Supergirl isn't the main focus. For most of that first issue, I was going to say chapter, that's how literary this is. Focusing on this young girl you've never seen before, it's a completely new, yeah. new character. But yet it has this really powerful, capturing sense of intrigue. How are we going to get back to where we expect this to be? Like, how do we get Mm -hmm. from here to something that I'm familiar with? And it had an eccentric format of storytelling from the very first pages. Completely. And one of them that really adds to that, the formalism of Ruthie's language, which is such a... Love it. I love it. And then... I love it even more when at the end, it's not clear that that's the way she speaks at all. The entire comic may have been a performance. It works so well, Matt. The formalism of her language works in the comic, and it also works thematically. She never wants to, Ruthie, that is, never wants to talk about the fact that she just wants fucking revenge. Like She talks about Mm -hmm. avenging her father, not revenge, but avenge. She uses adjectives like, I've got, I got to note it down. So she talks about how her dad's venerated was like an upstanding member of the community and she's mm. obligated by principle to avenge him. She never frames it 
until the very end about mm -hmm. how her purpose is to get back at Clem because her father was such an upstanding member of the community and an important yeah. person and venerated. And so the formalism of the language really does echo the formalism of her project, which is principled, not base, emotional reaction. She has to do this because it's something that she's obligated by principle to do. And that is upended at the very end. And I think it's just beautiful how it has a musicality to it, her cadence. So it's like pl a pleasure to read. It does dovetail with these thematic concerns just so beautifully. The first journey they take, they've lost their transportation. This a transgalactic shuttle bus. Yeah. And oh some God. of the language she even uses there, I have purchased passage upon this seasoned but sturdy vessel. And it is my understanding that there is a certain amount of space that is guaranteed with said purchase. By placing your head and invited upon my shoulder in the manner you have, you are violating this. Shut your horrid mouth, child. <laughs> if this space were yours, then I could not take it. I need to rest and I shall rest where I need to. <laughs> yeah. And Stan Lee was great at this because he thought while they weren't educational, it didn't mean that kids couldn't learn from comics. So whether it be thematically, he tried to impose vernacular on kids. And in yeah. this, the amount of words that I was on my phone to check out, just to make sure, I can only assume it's Tom King. But you would think, may, do you think he maybe had like some, if not frame of reference, but do you think he maybe had help with that? Maybe somebody that, well, I suppose it's fantasy, isn't it? I mean, what are you going to do? The dialogue is mean, so unusual. Clearly would have had to done his research about how a well-educated Western child would have spoke. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's the first page where she's talking about how Clem in his savagery was so dismissive of killing her father that he left this impressive sword with the blade still in him did the sword mean even less to him than the act of killing something that should be precious and not something that should be trivially left behind as it were and it's all done in thought boxes that in innovation like you said and that's a through flow it's the first time since vision that he's actually done that the communication has oh, right. always been verbal thinking back to vision it's been a long while since i have read it he was almost like the window in character it was more the the heinous acts of the wife it was vivian wasn't it or was that his daughter <laughs> i think viv was his daughter and i can't remember what his wife called he manufactured a family for himself mm -hmm. to try and feel more human to try and make more human discovery grim reaper turns up at the house and his wife kills him and then buries him yeah, in the yeah, garden yeah. yeah 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 even then he is passive in that whole story. Um, He's yeah. the window through which the story takes place, but also you see what his decisions have, what the consequences of his decisions are. Yeah. What makes Tom King such a great writer? Well, let me try and remember what I wanted to say. <laughs> he can write with such descriptive precision. He can make the everyday seem detailed and important wanted to read some of the text out let me describe the page supergirl is hovering above a town of one of the cities that clem's been through and she can't quite work out why they're still alive but there seems to be some sort of conspiracy the custodians of the town are very rude to her when she asks so she's standing above the town looking over it basically standing watching here we go Again, this is in the thought boxes, or like the narration boxes. That night, we went to the roof of the Maypole bed and breakfast and spent an hour or so looking out over the cosy town. We watched the grocer closing shop and heading home to his wife. 
a young lad on a corner, hollering on and on, trying to peddle his newspapers to the passing crowd. A family of four arriving at dinner, greeting a waitress with a hug and a joke before taking the table they seemed to believe were theirs by birth. A mother holding the hand of her beloved child as they sauntered across the street at a slow and unsteady pace, waving to the waiting cars whose drivers enthusiastically waved back. Now, there's no need for any of that, but it sets the scene, textually sets the scene. It's commentary. It's describing a very mundane and everyday existence. Mm-hmm. It shows the horror of one story, but the mundanity of another, forwarding the, the feel and the texture of the specific parts of the story. Yeah, totally. You nailed it. <laughs> one of the things that sticks out to me is something that doesn't really matter that much. The scene setting of what is otherwise a mundane, the scene that you, where she's in the seat trying to tell like, that disgusting yeah, yeah, guy yeah, next yeah, to her, yeah. like, get the fuck off my seat. That doesn't matter really, but the comic paints a fucking huge picture of a world inside that basically bus, right? Like the, the, the transport and the interplay between just the short dialogue, the way that the art depicts how grotesque the dude is, you just cannot get it out of your head. It paints a world within the context of like two or three panels. It's actually a very economic way of broadening a very specific image of that world. Yeah, exactly. Totally. It's a perfect introduction point for a person that's completely unfamiliar with Supergirl and has no real knowledge of the ongoing canon of the DC universe. It managed to tie in the difference between the red sun and and a yellow sun. That's how she can get a power, but yet she can be damaged by a red or a green sun. It also has the vulnerability to magic, but it also proposes one of the great action sequences, really, where she... She kind of jumps on a, well, we won't go into too many details because I'd like to leave some of it if people haven't, haven't read it. But it, the way that she quite quickly thinks of a way to defeat the threat of specific magic, having been hoodwinked by it the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And I oh. feel now that I have a pretty good understanding of what Supergirl is. And it's quite interesting that she seems to have been quite an undervalued character in Tom King. In one of the interviews that I listened to, they said, do you intentionally go for the characters that nobody likes? And he said, when Kirby went to DC, they said, what do you want to write? And he basically said, just give me your most unpopular character or your literally bottom selling character. So he did a Jimmy Olsen miniseries. Yeah. And Tom King likes the challenge of, he basically says, I want to say, I give it the Tom King touch. Which these characters need a little bit of my love. To which characters could benefit from a little bit of Tom King love? Because if yeah. you think like Mr. Miracle had been in the wilderness for a long while, Vision had never really Vision. been. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's a smart strategy on his part too, because these are not characters that are burdened by like, crazy fans and weird expectations exactly. of people, you know? Now, not, having said that, he did write Batman, which is probably the arguably the most burdened uh, canon all, in all of superhero comics, but... In these mini and maxi series, he does that a little bit of Tom King love, and it's a character that he has a lot of flexibility with. It was supposed to be 12 issues, and he said, Yeah, I want to do, I'll do Supergirl and I'll do 12 issues. If you want, if you want one of our performers, performers, then the most we can give you is eight. <laughs> you're like, okay, that's <laughs> <even> fair. <laughs> is, that what it, is that what it is? Is it eight issues total? Yeah, it's eight issues. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. But now I want to know what would have happened in the other four. <laughs> yeah. 
But I think this was perfectly paced, though. There's a lot of location hopping, and it doesn't become tired. You have the impact of the slew of tragedy from one location to the next, and sometimes there's a little bit of mystery, and sometimes the horrors of the spoils of war. And again, even when she finds Clem, because Mm -hmm. she's Supergirl, there's no rush to the punch. She finds him. It's the end of issue. The next issue, he's tied to a tree. Mm-hmm. Basically, at that point, he said, they'll keep looking for me. They won't stop until they found me. And she leaves Ruthie with him tied up. And she goes crazy on a galleon of space pirate ships. And at that point, I thought, do you know who this reminds me of a little bit? It's kind of like DC's Captain Marvel. Mm. A Captain Marvel that isn't overconfident, isn't cocky, has people skills, that has an underlying sadness, yeah. a, a under-the-skin preoccupation that you're not ever invited into. Tom King said, sometimes you need to inject a darkness into a character. And he said, the Bat family do well because they're performatively almost perfect. So you need to sow some darkness in there to make them weakness. Or with Mm -hmm. somebody like Kite Man, who is a complete joke, if you can inject the sadness behind that that sort of personality trait, then all of a sudden you have a sympathetic. But he said with the super family, especially with Kara, some characters simply need to be themselves. And they have an accumulation of barnacles over the years where people have gone almost improv, yes, and sort of structure, but it's been with canonical barnacles. And he said that you have to strip all that away and allow them to be who they are. And sometimes a hero is just allowed to be a hero. Mm, Completely. The whole way Tom King approached the writing, he said that sometimes you just have to rewrite the New Testament in the way that you're not reading that to see Jesus fuck up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, totally. Just like you said, sometimes you have to allow a hero to be a hero. There is the impression that Kara struggles with this heroic ideal, kind of violence begets violence, and that she's trying to not impress that on Ruthie, but she's trying to lead her to the voyage of discovery in in her own right. I mean, we've said it a hundred times, you don't, maybe not a hundred, maybe two or three, but we've kind of (laughs) said, like, you don't change somebody's mind by disagreeing with them. You have to lead them to that being an option for themselves. There's so much page to page that is either beautifully worded, beautifully scripted, beautifully drawn, beautifully coloured. I have of the trade paperback and it's on newsprint. Why is it that newsprint is just so much nicer? I don't know. It's crazy, though. They have a nice newsprint, though, DC. Their trades are pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like they're muted a little bit. And also, Mm -hmm. you haven't got that fucking annoying line from whatever light is in your room going down the middle and you you have to tilt the page right right it looks beautiful it reads beautiful in no point does it over egg the pudding with the emotion and if it does the characters are very quick to draw themselves back into the center almost perfectly shown in penultimate series of events where i nearly said carol danvers as Kara, Supergirl, <laughs> is fighting the galleon of pirate ships. And it's a lot like Endgame, where she just comes mm-hmm. and wrecking yeah. hands. I don't know how you felt about this, but... Hello, it's post-production, Matt. It's been a while, isn't it? Yeah, it must mean we're getting better at this. Or, you know, 
just less caring about the final product. <laughs> so, I'm still using the she pronoun, but in actual fact, I'm not talking about Supergirl. I am talking about Ruthie. So that just goes to show you that pronouns are absolutely useless and we should all just be polite enough to talk to each other by our actual names. All right, back to the show. She basically is convincing herself of an opportunity to kill him. And she's like, well, I can't just kill you on the tree. So I'll cut you from the tree. And then she's like, well, I have a weapon and you don't have a weapon. So then she puts the sword in the middle between them. And then it's who gets to the sword first. And she does a series of brutal kicks to the head. Like she sets him up as he's lunging for it. She just roundhouses him in a perfect (laughs) Patrick Swayze manner. (laughs) Or Peter Griffin. (laughs) And, And I thought if that victory felt easy, and it's the only time really when it's been actually visualized a battle and i thought like this clem guy was undefeated undisputed he raised planet after planet and now ruthie with a plan just beats him that bit was the only bit in the whole thing where i thought huh uh yeah 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 huh i luckily that's not the conclusion though yeah i see that and also at that point supergirl returns and says okay you didn't kill him. Good. That was the whole point of this. By the way, crypto is fine. I just lied to you. I just needed to shepherd you and make sure that you didn't stray too far from the path. I was like, that's a risky long con, isn't it? One way to square the circle is to think about the reveal at the end that it became clear to me that perhaps the entire comic is Ruthie performing something that didn't happen the way she's actually saying it happened. We've talked about her formal language yeah, at the yeah, very yeah. end when she's contemporaneous with Supergirl and old and old Ruthie. She drops that. She talks in a vernacular by God's girl. Maybe he's changed, but you sure ain't. That is not the way that we know Ruthie talks. And so it got me thinking, well, maybe the entire thing is Ruthie's unreliably telling the story. And so that that may have been icing on the cake that makes her Ruthie look like like a badass. But in fact, that's not actually what happened. Right, at all. Right, right. I, I'd hesitate. We've identified that a few times recently. <laughs> and I like the way you skirted around actually saying unreliable narrator. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, don't you say it, Tim, don't you dare. <laughs> We'd have to change the name of the podcast to unreliable narrator. But I think maybe that's the moxie of youth and an old lady that has been weathered by time that isn't as prim and proper. And she's more relaxed. Do you know like how old people don't watch what they say? They're a bit racist or something like that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I agree that is definitely possible. Could be all that's real and that she's just changed over time. I think it's an open question. And I love those final scenes. What's the realm that they send them to in the end of one of the worst Superman films? What was it? Is it the Phantom Zone or something like that? Yeah, the phantom zone. Yeah, 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 the phantom zone. So she's trapped him in this phantom zone in a little, almost like baseball card. She crunches it and he escapes. And he's been there for 300 years. And the first hundred, he was angry. And the second, he was accepting. And then the third hundred years, he was repentant. He comes out on his knees, withered, haggard old man, and begs for forgiveness. 
He says, please, I'm sorry. I understand now what I've done. Please forgive me, please. The only thing that I want in life now is your forgiveness. Can you understand that I'm a changed man? And then she bops him on the head. Now, I thought it was an axe to start with. I don't know if it's motion lines or a splatter, but I think it's her walking cane. Do you think that the perfect ending is Kara allows her to kill him, but only after he's repented? Or do you just think she's given him a playful bop on the head as if to say, no fucking chance, mate? I think the former. I think she kills him. Yeah, that was definitely my reaction to it. And I like that. I liked it a lot. Yeah, Yeah. I really, I, yeah. In the final pages, it still surprises you. It's not a tidy tidy moral of the story wind up. It kind of does reflect the conversation we had at the end of Killing Joke, which, by the way, is on YouTube now as a one-shot art breakdown, one of our great episodes. It kind of reminded me of that, the did Mm -hmm. he, didn't he kill the Joker at the end, or Mm -hmm. did the Joker kill him, or did they both die? And it also has the mirroring of language like that does, where it said, we're too small and it's too big. And it was said at the beginning and the end of the story. And it had that linguistic Mm -hmm. mirroring that a killing joke Mm -hmm. also had. Uh, Interesting observation. I didn't notice that. But what do we make of that? Just like a skillful way to conclude the story? I think that it reflects their journey, really. At the beginning, it's Kara telling Ruthie that the scale of what you're trying to achieve, we're so small, but it's so big, was the enormity of the task. Whereas at the end, it was more an acknowledgement of what they'd achieved. Mm. If you were to push me for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. Yeah. I just think this is an excellent comic book. It is excellent. So let's finish. Let's do our own linguistic mirroring. Where have you decided that this sits? So I think it's the best DC comic I've read. I think it's got to be in the top handful of superhero comics I've read. I've read better independent comics. Better in the sense, you know, they're just more literary or serious. Yeah. In that capacity. But I think this is just so skillful. It's just one of the absolute, it's on the Mount Rushmore of superhero comics. Four or five best ever. And with your mind, there's always more to read and there's always something that surprises you. Because I wouldn't have even contemplated this being in the list had it not have been picked up. And how good is it that this was only out last year? Did it finish up last year? And it's already, it's already been made into a film. That is so pleasing. That's what happened. And I know Kevin Feige is a comic guy, but he ain't really. Like, I don't believe that he knows what's going on in the comics. I don't believe that he's still reading. He he doesn't have people bringing, these are the key ones that you need. I think that in a way, Marvel's putting the cart in front of the horse with that one. The comics are reflecting the MCU more, whereas DC seems to just be more liberally produced. I mean, this nothing like this would ever, ever be written at Marvel, ever. Mm-hmm. I would say 2015, very slight chance because you had something. This reminds me of, do you know what it reminds me of a little bit? Black Bolt, the Saladin Ahmed Black Bolt. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a really nice, tidy story. Totally. Yeah. The only one that springs to mind that makes me think, and again, it's Tom King, was Mr. Miracle. I've actually never read Mr. Miracle. Oh, mate, it's fucking incredible. Really? I heard it was. I have have read it. So good. One of, is it better I, than I would tentatively say so, but only because, well, it's the Tom King thing, right? It's very personal. 
uh, inner turmoil to the character, just instantly relatable. It really, mm-hmm. really, really good. Amiga Men again was good, but that was a little bit too heavy sci-fi for me. I have no reference with Green Lanterns whatsoever. I read quite a bit of New 52. Snyder's Batman's pretty good. I'm trying to think of what else DC I really liked. I Vampire is pretty good, but it didn't finish well. Demon Knights was really good, but it's not on this level. I tell you something that's close to this for two or three volumes. Jeff Lemire's Animal Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that, that is very good. I think we're both in agreement, aren't we, Tim? That this is one that everybody should go out and read immediately, as quickly as possible, or as quickly as Amazon can restock them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this it's really an all-timer. So I... I it is. Yeah. It's great. Okay, I am your co-host, Matt. Tim, have you said goodbye to the people yet? And would you like to? Uh, No, but I'll I'll say goodbye right now. A lot of fun. Read this comic. Read this comic, people. There you go. You've heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so not good at singing. But that will not stop me trying, because that's what God loves. And follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify. And be serious now, guys. Follow us. Subscribe to us, please, please, please. <laughs> if the listeners Insta- can just see Matt's face right now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 So. So. We are on Twitter, Instagram, all your favorite listening locations. YouTube's blowing up, so it seems like people are finding us without me telling them. So that's good. It's just. You know, maybe if the people that already know we're here listen to us as well, we might get somewhere, eh? The problem with that is, Tim, I'm criticising the people that are actually listening to it, and it ain't their fault. So uh, you can't win, can you? Maybe we well, need a, a letter-writing campaign that will visit the, their homes, dropping off with like a wax seal from the end podcast. Everyone deserves criticism ex- except Brussels. Brussels is... Uh, Brussels. 100%. Brussels. You're in the clear. Brussels, Brussels. Good night, Brussels. And that leaves me one thing to left to say... We have been, and this is the end. I often feel like, oh, I don't know how that one's gone. And then I edit it. I'm like, wow, we're really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Totally.